0: Welcome to this podcast from Central Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. I would absolutely love it if you would turn in your Bibles uh, to the Book of Psalms and uh, Psalm 51. And uh, we're going to uh, continue a series when we're looking at the life of David. And uh, it's, it's fascinating what you can learn from both the um, heroics and the failures of the men and women of Scripture. And uh, what you can understand about who God has us to be and what God is calling us to do and, and what we need to take hold of. Um, In this time, I've just come back from three weeks in the States, and I spoke on each Sunday in different places. And uh, um, you know, I'm I'm a fully adopted American. I, uh, I I went to the baseball match at Turner Field in Atlanta on July the 4th, and. Uh, sang "Star-Spangled Banner," or as much as I got about four lines of it. Oh, see, can you see? Uh, the rockets were doing something, and someone else was doing something else. And uh, and God bless America. And I placed the allegiance to the flag. I've no idea what that was all about, but everyone else was doing it, so I thought I'm in. You know, fifty thousand other people and. Uh, (laughs) I don't know what that that does for you. But I had hot dogs and uh, the whole thing. You know what I love about America? I love the kind of um, potential thinking. Do you know what I mean? Kind of freedom to dream. Freedom to think big. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that I would question. but But the freedom... to to fulfill your potential and to run with your dreams. And I come back to to Scotland and there is a danger in thinking, God, you know, because because there is a sense in in our culture that we want to damp everything down. So, you know, sit down, be quiet, don't dream big. Don't get ahead of yourself. Whereas in America, they're going, come on. But you know what I see? I see potential in this nation. We, we, we are at a very interesting time. We've got a decision to make in not, not many weeks. And, and whatever side of that decision you, you stand, then it's really not my place to say, but, but the reality is we have an opportunity to forge a future for this nation under God. And there's an opportunity for us to say, what, what should Scotland look like in this future? And there is incredible potential in this room. Potential for you to be everything that God created you to be. Potential for you and I to run with the dreams that God has placed in our heart. Potential for you and I to be kind of catalysts of transformation in, in our little communities and in our city and for the nation. The potential is absolutely huge. And t- tonight I want to talk about unfulfilled potential. Because it kills me. To see people who mean so much to God and have so much available to them and are supposed to do incredible things languishing in the shallows of life and of faith and experience. And it kills me to see it in me when I have so much to offer and so, so much of the time I don't walk in my anointing and my calling and in my potential. There is this enigmatic thing called potential. Potential parents know all about it. You know, when when little Johnny is at the age of two and he toddles across a room and kicks a football, dad see dip and swerve and curl and think, could he be the next Ronaldo? There's potential. Educationists know all about it. They get a a special student in their class who's got a mega brain and they begin to project potential into their lives. What's going to happen when this person... You've got incredible potential. Sports commentators talk about it all the time. There is incredible potential. We, we could see it. And there is potential in this room. And it's palpable. And it's exciting. But so many of us live on the shallow side of it. And on the shadow side of it. Unfulfilled potential. And, and, and here's the thing, for so many of us, we can point, if we're forced to, to a moment or an event or a decision or a choice or something we did to ourselves or some decision that we made ourselves or something that was done to us, a regret, a shame, a limiting factor and we can say that's the thing that limited our potential. And then we settled for less. I don't know what it was, that, that drink, that financial decision, that night, that weekend, that relationship call, that business choice, whatever it was. And we say, that's the thing that stopped us. That's the thing that stopped us flying. That's the thing that stopped us stepping off. That's the thing that prevented us becoming that person that we thought we would always be or we dreamt we would be when we were very young. Here's the thing. It, it wasn't the moment... Or the event itself, the decision or the choice that became the limiting factor in our lives. It was that we didn't know how to recover from that moment. We didn't know how how we could recover from that decision. We didn't know how we could recover from that failure. We didn't think we would ever be able to do the things that we dreamt we would be able to do because we thought we were disqualified from it. We thought there was no way forward from it. We thought, well, that sort of cuts us off and gives us a ceiling here because if we'd have been perfect, we could have done that, but no, we can't do it anymore. And we live for less. And we live limited. And we came to believe that was okay and it was right and it was proper and it was normal and we shouldn't get ahead of ourselves. And it's so frustrating and it's killing you, but you've settled for it. And we come today to look at the life of David. And the fascinating thing about the life of David in the passage that we're going to look at is that this, this passage in, in Psalm 51 is written as a response to the worst moment of his life. As a response to that moment that he regretted, I'm sure, he hasn't had this conversation with me, but I think he probably did, that he regretted, I'm sure, above any other moment in his life. The moment when he did the thing the disappointed God. The moment when he did the thing that he could have said, well, you know, I'm ruled out now, there's no way that I can ever be the man of God. And this is so important for us. Because it's so easy for us to live our lives with regret. And worse still, to live our lives defined by the regrets. We are that thing. We are that moment. We are limited by that opportunity. And that stopped us. So let's take a look at uh, David. David had it all. I mean, if you think you've let God down, think again. Because you may have let God down, but you've not let God down like David let God down. (laughs) I mean, David was the man after God's own heart. He was, there's never been someone who was loved as much as David, really. David was the prophet of God, the priest of God, and the king of God. Saul had slain his thousands, and David had slain his ten thousands. David was full of the grace and favor of God. God just loved him so much. And David was able to take the ark of God, which was the the living presence of God, into the city of God in Jerusalem. And he was able to unite the tribes. And he was the king. Above all the kings, he was the king. And he was just amazing. And then he fell. He fell big style. In, In 1 Samuel chapter 11, 2 Samuel chapter 11, we read that it was springtime... When kings went to war. I love that phrase. It was springtime when kings went to war. Of course. It was springtime when pastors went to war. Of course. Fantastic. Love that. And, 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 and what he should have been doing was going to war, but he stayed home in Jerusalem, and he was on the rooftop, and he was looking across the rooftop. He was distracted from what he should have been doing, and he was doing something else. And he saw Bathsheba, and she was attractive to him, and uh, he wanted her, and he was the king. And so he went and he took her. He knew that she was married, but he had sex with her, and he got her pregnant, and then he tried to cover up his sin. He got a hold of of, of the husband and he brought him home and uh, it didn't work and then he had Uriah killed. And so he's committed adultery, he's committed murder and it seems as if he thinks not a lot of it. He's the king in Jerusalem after all. Everyone in Israel belongs to him. He can do whatever he wants to do. And then he's confronted by God's prophet face to face, Nathan. And God, we read in one of the most... Massive understatements of the whole of scripture in 2 Samuel 11, verse 27. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. That was clearly written by an Englishman. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. It's just that one of those understatement things. God, David was a man of God's own heart. And David had displeased the Lord. Have you ever wished you could start again? You ever wished you could do over? Have you ever wished you had a fresh start, a fresh opportunity? Another go? Have you ever wished that the, the potential that you thought you had, that you you, you you put a lid on because it was limited because of the things you did, or the, the things that were done to you could be lifted and you could fly again? Because David did. Let's listen to Psalm 51 and how David responds. this moment in his life. From the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you'll prove right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I will bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Father, we just ask that you would uh, speak your truth to our hearts today. For those of us who feel as if we're limited, for those of us who live out of less, for those of us who once had dreams that have been squashed, We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would help us learn how to recover and walk with you again, because we don't want less or limited. We want to realize the potential that you have placed in our hearts, and we want it now. Amen. I guess we hear this story and we think, how could David have done such a thing? And then how is it possible for David, who's done this horrendous thing, to be restored and to, to pray this audacious prayer? I mean, basically in this prayer, he's saying, Lord, just completely restore me, completely forgive me, completely clean me up, and it'll be okay, and I'll have another go. I mean, he puts it in flowery language, but that's what he basically says. How is that possible? Let me, let me say this. We all sin. We all sin. I'm not trying to belittle sin or the severity of sin or, 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 or the damage of sin, but, but, but understand me, we all sin. We're all predisposed to put ourselves at the center of our world, which is the fundamental root of all sin. We're all predisposed to place ourselves at the centre of our lives and say it's all about me, and I'm going to look out for number one, and I'm going to make sure I'm okay, and I'm going to satisfy the desires of my heart and stuff for anybody else, and, and, and instead of placing God there, we place ourselves there. And David says, "I'm David the king, and do what I want to do." And She's attractive, and she's part of the kingdom, and I'll take her. We're all predisposed to do that. We sin, and we're generally predisposed to distraction. To, to 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 not be the person that God has called us to be, to be somebody else, to not do the things that God has called us to do, but to do something else. It's called distraction. And David is on the rooftop in springtime when he should have been at war. He's distracted and he's doing something else. We're all predisposed to do these things. To not pursue with our whole heart God, we all sin. We all have weaknesses. I've got weaknesses. You've got weaknesses. Uh, I don't know whether your particular particular weakness is appetites or what kind of appetites your particular weakness is, or your particular weakness is ambitions or what kind of ambitions, or your particular weaknesses are approvals or what kind of approvals that you're trying to live for. I don't know what your your particular sin temptation is, but I know that you've got one because I've got one. And if you knew the stuff that was in my life, you probably wouldn't want me to be your pastor. And the same was true of you, because we've all got stuff. And we all sin. And, and, and here's the thing I want to say. Most of us are hardwired when we sin to cover that up. Most of us are hardwired to automatically move into the kind of justification, and it was because of this, and I need to cover that, and make this thing happen, and, and compound the failure by rationalizing and justifying, and adultery becomes manipulation, manipulation becomes murder, and murder becomes a displeasure of God. And that's that's what happens. Let me say something that that sounds like the kind of thing you wouldn't expect me to say. The, The sin thing is not the thing that gets you stuck. The sin thing is not the thing that limits your potential. Now don't, don't misunderstand me. Sin is a grievous and, and dreadful thing because sin is essentially is, is, is you, you removing yourself from the center under the presence of God and running away from him and not pursuing his purposes and it's a dreadful thing. But it's not the thing that gets you stuck, more often than not. You can find yourself in an incredibly deep and dark pit from which it's really hard to escape because of the sin in your life. But the thing that gets you st- stuck And the thing that destroys potential is our inability to recover from the mess we create. And our inability to move on from the mess that other people leave in our lives. It's not so much the sin, because the sin is forgivable. Sin is something that God wants to deal with and, 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 and deal with in our lives, but but, but uh, the thing that gets us stuck is our inability to move on, our inability to deal with it, our inability to recover, and our ability to stay in that place where we're continually poking our failure and continuing to live out of our failure and continuing to live out of our lack of potential, and continuing to live out of our loss, and continuing to live out of our pain, and that begins to define our lives, and we're limited. And, and the beauty of what we discover here is David, who should never ever be trusted by God again, who should never ever father the line of Jesus. Jesus. Who should never ever have this potential released in him, who should never stay the king, gets restored because he taps into the God of grace. Because he knows how to recover. It's your inability to recognize the forgiveness and restoration thing that keeps you stuck. This is huge, guys. Because so many of us get stuck in the, we will always carry that stuff around with us, we know it. So many of us get stuck in the living in the shallow, shadow of the failure of that sexual mistake or that stigma or that financial decision or that failure or, or that sin that can be forgiven but never gets forgiven. See, see, this story is here in the Word of God, not so that we might learn just some really clever insights into the history of the people of God, But but this story is here in the scriptures so that you can reach your full potential. So that you can fully participate in the mega plan of God. So you can be forgiven. This story says you can be free. This story says you can be right with God whatever you've done. This story says you can recover. And this story says you can get another shot. You can get another shot. So let's just spend just a few minutes taking a look at what David says and how he says it and, and what that means for us. First thing I want you to notice is this. David turns to God, which is a really obvious thing to say, but it's, it's kind of counterintuitive. Because, because shame would, would make you want to run away from the God that you've rejected. But what you actually have to do is to run towards the God who will accept you. Shame would have you running in the other direction because you've rejected him and you've ignored him and you've run against and away from his plans. But, but David understands the nature of God and so he calls on a God of love and mercy. In fact, of steadfast love and abundant mercy. Guys, if you're stuck, if your potential has been limited, you have to understand the nature of this God or you will never be free. David understands that this is a God of incredible love you see if you don't get that God is love and not hate that God is for you and not against you that God is is in your direction not against you if you don't get that then you're never going to come to him to receive forgiveness from him you're going to run away from him If you have a father who is a disciplinarian, who's harsh with, with you, who is always out to punish you, you're not about to run into his presence and tell him all the things you did wrong today. You're about to hide all those things and you're never ever going to get forgiven for those things. David says, this God is a God who is his love is not fickle or changeable. It's steadfast. It's certain. It's fixed in your direction. He loves you. And his mercy is complete. It's full. It's abundant. It's 100%. And, and, and it's overflowing. God is not a penny pincher God. He doesn't dole out bits of mercy whenever you need it. He pours his mercy upon you and lavishes you with mercy. When God forgives, he forgives Gives beyond our most outrageous imaginings. Way beyond. So there's a phrase that David uses later on in the Psalms. which I, When I think he's thinking back to this incident. And he says in Psalm 103. He, he puts our sin behind us as far as the east is from the west. That's how far he has removed our transgressions from us. How far is the east from the west? Well, if you set off walking east, how far do you have to walk before you get west? You never get west. You just keep walking east, unless you walk in circles, which clearly is not the point of what I'm trying to say. But you just never get west. It doesn't exist. That's how far it's diametrically opposed. You're never going to run out of the love of the mercy of God. Turn to God. There's no other place. And and then David gets real about the state of his life without God. Guys, you can fool most of the people most of the time, I have discovered. (laughs) And you can even fool yourself a lot of the time, that you can sort it out and you can fix it and you can make it happen and you can cope until you can't. But you can fool God none of the time. Because he is here, and he sees, and he understands, and he is God. He completely knows what it's about. He completely knows what you have done. He completely understands your reaction to what's going on in your life. And David wisely recognizes his state. I know, verse 3, my transgressions and my sin is always before me. He knows, Guys, I know this is huge, and I know this is serious, and I know it has the potential to mark my life for the whole of my life. I'm not, I'm not brushing under the carpet, I'm not pretending it'll just blow over, this is serious stuff. And then he uses three words, three words for sin, three words that, if you'll humor me just for a moment, are really important for us to understand. He uses the word transgression, and it, it's, it comes from a Hebrew word root, and it means to cross a forbidden boundary. And David says, I have crossed the boundary of your moral law, God, and I am at war with you. Serious stuff. I'm at war with you. Why does he say that? Because he understands that every sin is sin against God. Every sin, even when it's perpetrated to other people, is always sin against God. Every time I I do something, I hurt somebody, I abuse somebody created in the image of God, I abuse God. Everything is sin against God. That's why if I'm vicious towards you, it affects my relationship with God. If I'm out of relationship with you, I'm out of relationship with God because the two are always intrinsically connected. It is always sin against God. And David says, hey, I've damaged this. And it's killing me. It's transgression. And then he uses the word iniquity, which is the long word. It actually means perversion or depravity. And what he's really saying is, I have contravened what I know to be right and natural. I've acted in a way that is against the nature, God, that you gave me. I have acted in a depraved way because it's made me less than who you made me to be. It is iniquitous. And then he uses the word "sin." And the Hebrew word is the word "chatter," and it means what you understand it to mean. It means missing the mark. It means coming up short. It means falling short of the standards of God. And David is saying, I was created to walk in incredible potential and I have not fulfilled my potential because I've fallen short of my potential because I have done the things I should not have done even though I knew. And David is saying, I'm I'm fessing up. My hands are up, my head is down. This is severe, I'm a sinner. Guys, if, if you want to walk in your potential, you've got to stop Sugarcoating your sin. Stop calling it something else and stop pretending it's not sin. L- a lie is a lie. It's not a fib or a half truth. It's not being economic with the truth. It's a lie. Stealing is stealing. It's not playing with your expenses or, 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 or bumping up your mileage. It's stealing. If it's a pencil from the office or or robbing a bank, it's, it's stealing. Stealing is stealing. Lust is lust. Pride is pride. Greed is greed. And let's stop rationalizing it as well. We don't preach this way very often, so forgive me. But let's not stop rationalizing it as well you know it was because of this and i know it's wrong but i was lonely or morality changes and what was it not not acceptable in one generation is acceptable in this generation and everyone else is doing it so i'm doing it and it's not really going to hurt anybody and no one's going to know about it and no uh, no 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 it's transgression it's iniquitous and it's sin And why it's so dangerous is it breaks the heart of God. And why it's so dangerous is it because it cuts you off from your relationship with God, the relationship you were supposed to have when you're supposed to walk in the cool of the garden in the middle of the day with God because that's who you are. David said, I'm I'm stuffed. Turn to God and get real about your sin. The Apostle John says this, he is faithful and he is just. And he will forgive us our sins if, 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 if we confess our sins. David says, you know, I don't want to live in the shadowlands of unfulfilled potential because I'm not willing to fess up to the stuff that I have done which keeps me away from the heart of God. Because that's my limiting stuff that i'm not able to recover from this it's not the sin in my life it's the fact that i'm not able to recover because i'm not able to receive the forgiveness that god is willingly able to give me and wanting to give me because i'm not willing to accept so i'm 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 done i'm desperate for this you are everything i need without you i have nothing without your blessing my friend if you don't know you can be forgiven And if you don't put yourself in a place of receiving the forgiveness of God, you can live the whole of your life limited and shackled by the shadow of your failure. And David doesn't want that, and neither do I. And then David does something which is just... I mean, if he'd just stopped there, it'd have been fine. But then David does something which is just audacious and you want to slap him around the head and say, how could you, how, well, you know, clearly I don't want to slap him, well, I do actually. But, you, you know, you just think, how could you, how could you ask God for this? He says, God, here's the deal, I'm fessing up the whole of my sin before you, now, what I want is total forgiveness and another go. That's all I want, total forgiveness, complete forgiveness, and another shot. The phrase he uses, verse 7, it says, cleanse me with hyssop and wash me. Verse 9, blot out my iniquity, cleanse, purge, de-sin me. He says, de-sin me, get rid of all the sin in me. Hyssop was a plant in Israel's history. It was the plant that was used... uh, Uh, To brush blood on the doorpost. It was the plant that was used to sprinkle blood in the temple. It was the plant that was used to cleanse people who had infectious diseases. And so what David is saying is, wash me. I want to be completely ceremonially, religiously clean. Blot out any charges against me. Forgive me completely so I am completely and utterly pure. Listen, guys. God is totally able to forgive you for everything. Do you believe that? He is totally and completely able to de-sin you, to purge you from all your unrighteousness. Whatever you have done, whatever particular list of the most gross sins in your life, however you rank them, there's no ranking by the way, but however you rank them, you know, I did this and I did that and I did the other thing and I shouldn't have done that. and Whatever it was, God is totally able to forgive you because of the blood of Jesus because he sent his son to die, because his blood was poured out, you can be totally and utterly forgiven and you can have a fresh start and a fresh beginning. It's done. You didn't have to sit through your life listening to sermons feeling guilty the whole time for the stuff that you already repented for, already got dealt with at the cross. And every time you come up for ministry to deal with the same stuff, and every time we pray for you, and every time you go away feeling a bit better, and then you come back next week feeling worse again. No, 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 no. That's not how it worked. You are totally, totally, totally forgiven. You could not be more forgiven. It's done. David says, I want total forgiveness. And then he says, I want another shot. Which is another thing altogether, isn't it? I, I, I play golf. I think I play golf really well. People tell me I'm slightly erratic. Because I'm from the kind of grip it and rip it school. Everything, and there's no shot that's too hard. There's no shot that's too long. There's no water that cannot be crossed. You know, I'm, I'm in it to win it. So it's all kind of, you know... Rory would have a game against me, Uh, you know the whole the whole thing. And uh, and but there are times I have to say, when I just want another go. (laughs) You know, you're standing on the 16th tee. You've done pretty well. There's water to the left, and you think, how hard can this be? Instead of taking out a four iron, you take out a driver, and you smash it, duck hook left in the water. You take another one, exactly the same. You just want another go. Can I just do over? Have another shot. David says, could could I do over? Can I have a, a fresh go? And it's audacious, but it's exactly what God wants, wants him to ask for. David says, you know this sin? It comes from a messed up heart. And here's the thing, you can completely de-sin me, and you can, you can purge me, and you can hiss at me, and all that kind of stuff, but the heart is still broken, and it's still predisposed to want to run from you. It's still predisposed to want to put me at the center. It's still predisposed to give in to the same temptation. So God, you're going to have to give me a heart transplant. You're going to have to create a new heart in me. And that word create is is the Hebrew word bara. And it's God's creative word. It's found three times in Genesis chapter 1. So when God creates the heavens and the earth, he bara's the heavens and the earth. When God creates every living creature, he bara's every living creature. And when God creates humanity, he bara's humanity. And, and, And David is saying, I need you to do a creative miracle in my life. Because I can't do it unless you intervene. I can't live for your glory. I can't stand and I can't reach my potential. I can't run with the dreams that you've placed in my heart. Unless you barra me. Unless you create a new heart in me. And if you do, I'm going to have passion of a completely different kind. If you do, I'm going to want to tell people about you. If you do, I'm going to want to worship you like I've never worshipped before. If you do this, everything is going to change because the transformation you do in me suddenly is going to be the transformation you do through me because you have done an incredible thing. You've forgiven me and you've cleaned me and you've made me new. Here's the thing, guys. You have incredible potential. It's pregnant have incredible potential and so many of us live limited lives with 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 the ceiling of our shame and the ceiling of our guilt and the ceiling of our failures and the ceiling of things said over us and the ceiling of things done to us that limit us and prevent us running with our dreams and prevent us being the people that God called us to be and even our culture will become a ceiling for us and saying not you not for the likes of you don't run don't shout don't stand up don't dream big And God says, I want you to lift the lid of your potential. The thing that happened to you, the thing that was said over you, the thing that was done to you, the thing that impacted your life, the way in which you sinned, that decision, instead of marking your life negatively because it limited or reduced or disabled you, now can mark your life positively Because it can become the leaping off point for an extraordinary life. A life of dependence. A life of forgiveness. A life of broken joy. A life without fear. A life without shame. A life without less. A life with a new heart. That is a recreated heart. And David says, I'll tell everyone. I think God wants to lift the lid from some limitations. You see, it's not ultimately your sin that's going to limit you. It's your inability to recover from the sin that's in your life. It's your inability to receive the forgiveness of God. It's your inability to recover the dream. It's your inability to run with passion because you are limited by it. Shall we pray? Just as we close our eyes, Jesus... Jesus tells a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector. It reads this way. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evil-doers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Father, I pray that in these moments you would give us an ability to recognize the limitations of our life and come to you for healing, for forgiveness, for grace, for mercy and for love and receive afresh the potential that you've placed in us. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you fan into flame dreams? Would you call us by the name you used to call us? Would you remind us of your purposes? And would you break the shackles of limitations? I pray this in the name of Jesus, for his glory.